Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Hewitt Tomlin. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to make note of a new feature that we've released here at Team Builder. It is the online payments platform. This is something we're really excited about because this is what allows coaches to sell their training programs online uh, and make some money. This has been in the works for quite some time. It's a heroic effort on our team's part, and it's out there and ready to go. So if you need more information on that, just check any of our social websites. Um, Anything that we put out there, we should be making announcements here about this feature right now. Um, Today's guest is Jared Moon. Jared is the founder of Endo3 Fitness and Garage Gym Athlete. Um, So Jared has trained thousands and thousands of athletes 100% online. He built this business himself from scratch. And End of Three Fitness is now one of the more popular uh, websites to uh, you know go get online training from. Uh, he's a minimalist at heart. Uh, he takes that into account when building his programs. Um, he's got a great sense of building community online. And we really get into the nuts and bolts here of running an online business, including how do you even price a training program? How does that come into account when building your business? Jared has seven employees, I think he says, and they're all 100% remote, so he really does take this business model to heart, and I thought he would be a good guest to come on and talk about how to build this kind of business for everyone out there who is interested in it. Um, So enjoy the podcast. Let me know your thoughts. So hey, Jared, what's up, man? Not much, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I tend to, to hit the record early on because I started finding out like the most interesting conversations took place before I hit record. And after the first couple episodes, I was like, man, I got to hit record right away just so we can, like, you know, catch the small talk in the beginning. Yeah. So uh, same thing happens to me all the time. It's like normally, yeah, it's before or after. Like normally we'll stop hit, hitting recording too. And it'll be like, oh, why, why are we talking about this now? We could have recorded that. <laughs> yeah, I, I that happened so many times. I was like, look, I'm going to just hit the record button, let it fly, because, you know, just see what happens. Um, but so you've got a little setup there. You interview your athletes. Do you do you interview them? Are they like professional athletes or do you just interview them for marketing purposes? Uh, just garage gym athletes. Yeah, we, we interview them to go over their results and their experience, um, really trying to get their experience from home. Of course, it does help with with marketing, I'm sure. But the main purpose is everyone has like a different setup and a different reason for, for training at home. And so we kind of try and uncover that when we do interview our athletes. So it's more like market research, getting to know your customer. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, for everyone listening, Jared here, he is the, uh, CEO of end of three fitness garage gym athlete. Uh, we've been working together for quite some time, man. You've got a really strong following, a really cool brand. Um, can you tell people the difference between Endo3 and Garage Gym Athlete, kind of what, how it's organized? Yeah, and so Endo3 Fitness, is you just look at it kind of as the parent company. Uh, we do, uh, we have a couple of, you know, one-off programs that we sell online, but what it's transitioned to over the last couple of years is uh, coaching education, um, not necessarily certification, but just coaching education, trying to help coaches uh, fill some of the gaps maybe they didn't get uh, in their formal education or in their certification process. Uh, so we do a lot of that into three fitness now, and then garage gym athlete is kind of under that umbrella. And that's where we, you know, really practice what we preach and train athletes uh, using the team builder platform. And uh, yeah, we have, like I said, pretty strong following and, and primarily aimed at those training in their garage. Cool. 
Um, so I, I had an interview with Tex McCulkin from Power Athlete HQ. They're Texas-based. You're Texas-based. You obviously know about them. Yeah, I'm familiar with Power Athlete, yeah. Yeah. What we were talking about was the, the home gym, the garage gym, that, that's the future. I mean, that, that's a trend that's been bumped and it's not going away. But let's just state the obvious. You've been doing garage gym athlete for years and years before the home gym kind of exploded right. this year. So you were kind of ahead of the curve there. Yeah, that, I mean, it was um, honestly built out of my own necessity because I was always really into fitness. And then I went to active duty Air Force and I just didn't have as much time as I had previously to, to train, to get to the gym and all those things. I was like, I got to, I got to build something in my garage. And there wasn't a lot of information out there. Rogue was like just coming online. You know, there weren't a hundred different companies to shop from, uh, like ordering a set of rings or plates was like, you're going to wait six weeks and it's going to cost, you know, a lot of money. So I DIY basically my entire garage. So that's how we kind of got started as I like, I was building power racks out of wood and plyometric boxes and all these things. But then I was taking pictures and explaining how I, I did it and uh, posting those projects online. And that's initially how my business got started was helping other people build out their garage gym. Um, and yeah, it was just a hundred percent out of like, Hey, I'm doing this. If you want to do it too, here's how, how we're doing it. It's fair to say you're probably like an expert at setting up a garage gym. I know every garage is probably different, but a lot of people probably ask you, how do I even get started? What are some like, basic fundamental frameworks that you uh, recommend for someone who wants to create a garage gym? Yeah, it kind of depends on what you want. Like I'm, I would say I'm a minimalist. Like there's some people in our community who spare no expense and just like every square inch of their gym's got something awesome going on. Uh, I like a lot of, yeah, like I I got, (laughs) I like a lot of space. Like I like a lot of space in my garage. So I try to put things around the perimeter. Uh, But the, the basics of what you need, uh, barbells and plates, pull up bar, maybe a kettlebell, and then a pretty solid, uh, you know, rack of some sort. And that's, that's about all you need to get a lot of, uh, you know, effective and efficient training done. Yeah. Before, you know, Team Builder had like an official office, James and I were basically working out of his house and we put up a garage gym and we found this rogue garage gym half rack that folded in, you know, if yeah. you needed to like pull a car in. Dude, that thing is worth its weight in gold. It's very versatile. Yeah, I have one of those and they are amazing. I love that. What do you think about uh, power blocks? Uh, power blocks are awesome too. I, I actually got the Bowflex ones. And oh, wish, old school. Wish, wish I would have got the uh, <laughs> power blocks instead. Uh, but I think that just such a space saver and there's a lot of, you know, you can go up to a lot of weight. I think they're really solid. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine go up to 90, uh, which is fantastic. I mean, to go from, I think seven and a half or fives all the way to 90 in one little set it's pretty cool, but they make them now that you can go up to like 120 with power. Yeah, blocks, it's insane. I was looking at them because I've been thinking about upgrading. Uh, it's like a bad time to do it, but uh, yeah, I've been thinking about upgrading to power blocks, and I saw like, dang, these are getting like, they're getting heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are getting heavy. I we put out this Twitter poll around the time when everyone had a, like hardcore quarantine back in April. We we're like, if you could choose one, you know, thing for your athletes to train with, would it be a barbell, uh, a set of dumbbells? Uh, like a pair of dumbbells, uh, bands, and then something else. I forget. But like, what would you have voted? I, I'm guessing you probably would have picked the barbell. Uh, I actually probably would choose a kettlebell. Uh, really? Yeah. I mean, I love the barbell and, and I've done a lot with it, but I think the kettlebell, you can just do a little bit more. You can't get as much stimulus from like a weight perspective, but I do think uh, 
you could just do a lot with a, a good solid kettlebell. Yeah, I think that's um, that's definitely a trend I've seen like in the last five years, maybe eight years ago when I was like first getting into this kettlebells. It wasn't like you didn't see it, but it wasn't as popular as it is now for whatever reason. Yeah, it was kind of like a niche thing back in the day. It wasn't it was like you were yeah. either into kettlebell training and like that's all you did or yeah, you yeah, didn't exactly. use it at all. Yeah, yeah, you're a kettlebell guy. Um, well, cool. So why don't we get into a little bit about how you got started in training uh, like, or in coaching rather. So was that 15 years ago? Was was that when you joined the, the forces? Yeah, it, I mean, it was part-time for a long time, but I started uh, like personal training right at 17, 18 years old, wow. uh, just doing, um, you know, really basic stuff, training people in garages and, uh, you know, also at gyms, Lifetime Fitness, Global Gyms, things of that nature. Uh, Cause I got into fitness really at 14. So, you know, I'd, I'd been working out for four years and I've just always had an incredible passion. Uh, but I had a bigger passion for flying. Um, at that time, I wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. So I kind of put the whole fitness thing on pause or moved it, you know, to a dramatic side hustle, if you will, and pursued that, uh, you know, through college and then actually went active duty Air Force, went through pilot training, all these things, but ended up getting injured uh, while I was a, a pilot in the Air Force. And that kind of brought me back hardcore to fitness because I was like, look, I, I swung for the fences. I went for the fighter pilot thing. It's not working out. So now I need to go back when I'm back to what I'm most passionate about. And so as soon as my active duty career, I started training, I was training a lot of people uh, and being like coach at CrossFit gyms and stuff like that while active duty part-time. But then as soon as my active duty military career was over, I went full-time into three fitness, uh, training people, uh, some in person, but mainly online. Yeah. So um, you got out of the, the, the Air Force active duty and then just went full-time into training people? Pretty much. I did have a... Um, I had a job I took. It was very brief though, just because I was a little bit scared of the full-time entrepreneurship thing. Um, but I, into three fitness, like I said, I had actually built it up a little bit while I was active duty. So it was making yeah. enough money to like do it, but I was just still wasn't confident in myself as an entrepreneur to be like, yeah, this is it. I'm going to go full-time. Uh, but I finally, I, I got this other job and just realized, look, dude, you're completely unemployable. Like you can't work for someone else. You're just going to have to have to go full-time on, on your own thing. And so that's when I, uh, just switched it over. So it, it was pretty, it, that, that working for another person was pretty brief. So yeah, pretty much after the, the military was over, it was full-time into three fitness. Yeah. So, Hey, look, for people listening, I, I did something similar. I built up team builder as a side business when I was working a full-time job because man, when you go all in on being an entrepreneur, it's, it's not easy. I mean, making 75 employed and making 75 self-employed is not the same. You're going to pay more in taxes. You're responsible for your benefits, your health care, all this stuff. Um, it takes a heroic effort to go fully, you know, self-employed versus being employed. Is that the, did you get that kind of same experience? Yeah. And, and just everything's on you, you know, I mean, over time you end up building a team and having other people who can really support you. But in the beginning, it's just you. And so it takes a lot of self-confidence to be like, yeah, I know what to do to move this forward. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a, a big thing is, is having enough confidence in yourself to move forward. But yeah, you need to, you, the, the first couple of tax bills are like, what, what the hell? HR, you know, it's just, accounting. Yeah, yeah, no one's just, pulling taxes out of your paycheck for you. That's a big deal. Right. So there's a lot of like just painful lessons that had to be learned at the beginning uh, but then after you kind of get, get the hang of it, it's, um, it's awesome. Still, you know, still yeah. probably more stressful at times than, um, working for someone else, but I think it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it's a trade-off. It, it, it certainly is. You add a little bit more stress, but you capture some freedom. Um, so, it, so, okay, so end of three fitness, when you started it, at what point did it become like a, is it fair to say that it's like an internet-based business that a lot of your clientele is, is training remotely online? hundred percent, especially at this yeah. point. Like I was doing, I initially took um, people uh, in person and then also online, like when we were first starting. Uh, but I feel like I was doing a pretty good job with the online experience for people. Like I was really starting to dial that in. So I was like, we can do this all the way. Uh, so yeah, it's in now at this point, um, it's, it's a hundred percent online. We don't do anything, uh, in person at all. What, what was the key to delivering a good online experience? You know, I, I really looked at, um, gyms cause I had worked in some gyms when I was, uh, active duty. Like I said, I, I worked in some gyms and I also, uh, trained a lot of people. You know, I, I got, I got a lot of opportunity while I was uh, active duty, even within the Air Force, not as a side hustle, to be in like leadership positions and fitness. So I learned how to juggle a lot of human beings and build community, not just write programs. So I got a lot of experience doing that. I had some friends who owned gyms who were just crushing it. And I just tried, you know, over and over, like, how can I recreate this to the best of my ability? online and i knew it was going to be community and not just programming even though programming is you know probably what i'm most passionate about uh but i knew that everything had to be based around the community so i just uh you know recreated that how can i how can i have touch points how can i create an amazing experience for people what what's every what is everyone else not doing that i can do uh and just sat down and really tried to fill the holes and gaps and and what i didn't see happening online with other coaches and programs so when someone signs up for end of three, they really feel like they're in the end of three tribe. I mean, it's like they kind of build some sort of loyalty to, to your program, your brand. Yeah, we, we just have a, a really awesome community. A lot of that's built around like Facebook groups right now. Uh, but, you know, we I mentioned the podcast like we I had a podcast for a long time where all I did was interview other people. And that was awesome. But now we only ever interview our own athletes. And that just helps really? build the community uh, because these, these people that we're interviewing, you know, they have phenomenal stories too, you know, and uh, some of them are, are medical doctors and surgeons and stay at home moms and stuff, but they just have really awesome stories uh, that need to be told. And I think it's just really helped to strengthen our community. Yeah. Do you have some sort of format for when you bring a, a client on uh, like an agenda that you go over? How do you make the, the format work in the interview? For the actual interview for the garage gym athlete? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, so that one's a bit more scripted. Like when I used to interview, like if I were to interview you, it wouldn't be as scripted. You know, you're, you're another business owner, you have a podcast, um, something you're accustomed to. And uh, right. some of these people, they're not as accustomed to that. So we do send out like a list of questions of what we hit. Uh, but a lot of it, the first part of the interview is diving into their story and just learning more about them and why they became a garage gym athlete and what their setup is and any struggles that they have to overcome. But then the back half of the interview is super structured and people are always looking forward to those questions. We ask, you know, what's the best uh, way to build mental toughness? If you could only have one piece of equipment to train with for the rest of your life, what would it be? And then ultimately what's your best advice for any garage gym athlete out there? And those are the, I think the really big questions that people want to hear the answers to, because it helps, uh, you know, you get to answer those questions in your head and you can even come on the podcast and give your answer if you think you have a good one. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty scripted, or at least they get they get prepared for it a little bit more. Uh, but when I first started, I was a little worried. I was like, because I when I started podcasting, uh, I started podcasting all the way back in 2015. I was horrible. 
just like <laughs> talking to people. Like it just was a bad, everything felt awkward and um, it, I was just really bad at it. So I was like, man, I hope this doesn't happen, but we really haven't run into that. We haven't had any like athletes who are just like, you know, gun shy. Everyone's been pretty, pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, I, I think you could argue Joe Rogan's probably the most successful podcaster out there now. 100%. He credits he credits his success his success all the time to going back and listening to his old podcasts and you know editing himself. And I think he takes the same method for his stand up. He said he edits his own stand up because it makes his future stand up better, um, which kind of surprised me because you know his format's very casual, um, but he puts a lot of work behind the scenes. I think into making it better. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's what champions do, right? Or winners, whatever we want to call it, is they yeah. they review their performance. Sometimes people just uh, knock this stuff off like it's not a not a big deal. But if you really, truly want to be the best at something, you need to take that champion mindset to everything that you do. Yeah. Yeah, I'd argue with podcasts. It's, you know, some people don't like hearing themselves speak. And they, it's probably very easy to avoid that. But there's a lot of things you can improve every time you do something like this. I know from a little bit of experience. Uh, when I asked you what your unique skill set was, you replied, helping others kill comfort and programming. So, you know, programming makes sense. But what do you mean by kill comfort? Yeah, so we I, I just wrote a book called Killing Comfort. Uh, we released it in the middle of a pandemic, which is awesome. It just kind of went in, went in with the book, right? Like, why not? Yeah. We're not going to delay it. Let's just do it. Uh, so I've worked with a lot of people, a lot of people. And I, I'm like inherently passionate about the programming but i know you know that's not the only thing that you can focus on and so what i've um learned in interviewing athletes and just having phone calls with them and coaching a lot of people is i really want to move everyone to the next level of getting uncomfortable we like we know that you know discomfort is what's going to yield results that's what leads to success you know whoever can be the most uncomfortable for the longest period of time putting yourself in situations for growth but I wanted to help other people do that. And I started to develop a framework slowly, you know, over the, all the years I've been an entrepreneur and been coaching people. I really dive deep into the mindset side of things. Like how can I get you to stick to a program? Because sometimes we get people who are at that very base level. They're just getting started. You, I know you want to see a change. And the only thing that stops you from seeing that change is not sticking to it. Because I know the programming is going to work. I know if we give you any dietary guidelines, those are going to work. The only thing that's not going to work is you not sticking to the program. Yeah. I've become obsessed with that idea, trying to get people to stick to things. And that's a beginner athlete. Now, going up to more advanced athletes, it's not letting, allowing them to become complacent. Like, where are you, you know, comfortable? Where are you getting complacent? You might not realize it. So I, I've really dove deep, but it's, uh, it's not just for athletes. Like, the book is really a generalized like how do you how do you get uncomfortable and, and stay there and see progress is is that a little bit of a, a balancing act i mean I, from my brief coaching experience sticking to a program sometimes it, it helps to to do that when you program things that people like to do right if someone hates you know olympic lifting and you program it three times a week that's going to be a tough sell so do you have to kind of balance the two things together uh, yeah, we call that the human element, you know, like there's, it's like vegetables, you know, it, we all know that we need to eat our vegetables, but it's still hard to get people to do, or it's hard to get children to do, you know, however you want to look at it. Uh, mm -hmm. But with programming, 
you know, I think it's a matter of a lot of explanation. If you're going to be programming things that people don't want to do, I think there needs to be a lot of explanation and why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And we talk about our programming all the time, the, the methods behind it, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And a big part of that is, is mindset reasons. You know, it's not, Hey, I'm trying to teach the science of programming. It's more, I want you to be as bought in as possible. I want to be as transparent as possible too. That way you are confident in the program and you want to stick to it. So I think that helps a lot with people in, when you're doing programming, people get way more bought in if they know what the hell they're doing and not just, Hey, I'm your coach. I said, do it. So do it like that. Yeah. That, that doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work with people. So uh, making sure that people know the why behind it is, is a big part of what we do. Yeah. So you've written two books now, writing a book's not an easy task and running a business is not easy. So how did you take, what was your approach to putting pen to paper and running a business at the same time? Yeah. Book one was kind of book one wasn't as hard. So the, the first book was called the garage gym athlete and it was really a culmination. I'd been blogging a lot up to that point. So it was taking a lot of that editing it. So that wasn't as challenging. I was able yeah. to manage that one. This other one, a lot more difficult. So the, the approach was just, you know, locking myself in my office for a couple hours uh, every day and writing it but absolutely would not have been possible this time around without my team. You know, they, they can run the day-to-day -day operations um, and they made it possible for me to, you know, play author as I like to call it. Cause I don't consider myself like a full, full-time author. You know, I, I'm, I'm definitely not in that realm, but they, they allowed it. So just a lot of focus, you know, it, it, as far as the actual process of writing a book, sitting down and outlining the crap out of your book. Like before you start writing just paragraphs, uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot of other advice out there for writing books was just like, yeah, just do a thousand words a day, 500 words a day. I did that. It leads to basically nowhere. If you don't have a really? framework or an outline, uh, you'll get a lot of great ideas out of your head and whatever, and you'll write some stuff, but it won't be a concrete, concrete, coherent book at the end of writing 500 words a day. So outlining uh, in, in great detail, what you want to hit, how you want to help people, and then start plugging in the holes with those 500 words a day. And you'll, you'll have a great book on your hands. Are you in touch with say like your productivity and your habits? Did you find yourself gaining a lot of momentum at certain parts of the day or, or having to take advantage of when you were quote like on? Yeah. I'd, I mean, I'd never really, I, I don't feel like I was ever really on there'd be sometimes maybe I was a little bit more motivated to write. Um, so I would go longer, but it was really just the discipline of doing is, yeah. uh, you know, dedicating the first say two to three hours of my workday, just writing and just outlining, just researching those kind of things and committing to that every single day is what ended up doing it. Um, as opposed to, cause I, the, the idea for this book goes all the way back to 2017. That's when I initially started it but I was just kind of all over the place and I was doing kind of that inspiration method that you're talking about. Like I'd write something here and there. And then mm -hmm. I got really serious about it in 2019. I'm like, man, if you want this to be a book, you're going to have to do something about it. That's when I got incredibly disciplined to do it. And uh, that's, that's how it came out in May, 2020 is just doing it every single day. Yeah. Interesting. Do you have a morning routine that you follow? Yeah, I do. Um, typically have you ever read the book uh, miracle morning? No. Yeah. It's, I mean, the book is all about morning routines and I've kind of been following that process for a long time. It's the savers process. So S A V E R S, uh, which is like silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, scribing, uh, scribing for writing. 
Uh, and I've been following that for years. And uh, I think it's really beneficial to kind of go through that process every morning and get centered. Uh, typically, no, no real work for me in the morning routine. It's just like a self-development practice that makes me better, you know, father, husband, entrepreneur. Yeah. So uh, silence and affirmation, that's akin to like, say, journaling. Yeah. So silence, I normally do some sort of breath work. Uh, or meditation. It used to be meditation, but I get, feel like I get a lot more out of uh, breath work these days because uh, it can kind of act as both. And then, yeah, affirmations and visualizations, uh, journaling. Uh, that's a great way to, to take care of those things for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so every day you do this seven days a week. Yeah. And so I do have three kids and so things can get like jacked up or whatever. So ideally that would be an hour long process for me, uh, but that doesn't always happen. Um, so I, I try to go to my minimum effective dose, which would be just like one minute in each of those areas. So, you know, yeah. you're done and done in under 10 minutes. It's not the best practice in the world, but it keeps the habit. So yeah, I try and do it yeah. every single day. Yeah. Interesting. So you got three kids. Yeah. That'll, that'll change it up sometimes, I guess. Oh yeah. Uh, they, they keep things uh, pretty busy for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you got three kids. You still train a lot, man. That's impressive. Um, yeah. I just, I don't do anything else. People ask me that sometimes. They're like, how, how do you do that? I was like, I don't do anything else. I don't, I work, I work out. I spend time with my family. Like that's it. I don't have yeah. any hobbies. I don't uh, watch TV. Like I just, those are the things that I do. That's basically it. I'm In other boring. words, you, you prioritize me. You've prioritized your, your life, your time. Yeah, that's, I've been really big on that. That was, you know, I attribute a lot of just like making it as an entrepreneur. And all I mean by making it is it being my full-time thing and not a, not a side hustle. Uh, was just, all right, dude, I'm done with, I'm done watching TV. I'm done with Netflix. Like let, if you want this to be a real thing, you're going to have to get focused. And I just kind of never let my foot off the gas. Yeah. In terms of your team that you've built out, um, how, what was your approach to, to that? So is your team hundred percent remote? Do you have an office that you work in together? Uh, so hundred percent remote. I am building an office right now should be done at the beginning of next year. Um, but hundred percent remote. The process of, of finding all of those people um, has really just been, every single person who's been hired has been from the community. Uh, mm. So between part-time and full-time, we're at six people right now. And they have just all been like Joe, he's my uh, right-hand man full-time. And he, he just kind of like wanted to work for the company, you know, and it is very early on. And, you know, I was, he was like, Hey man, you got a got a job for me. I'm like, well, yeah. So he started part-time and, uh, we, our relationship has grown his skills have grown over the years, but then everyone else, I mentioned those, um, the coaching education program we put out several years ago, everyone else has come from that. So they, mm -hmm. uh, in our, in our coaching education, they just, they learn how to, they learn how some of the mindset stuff that we teach programming, those types of things. And it's, uh, it's a great place for me to look to pull people because most of the time what we need help with are those types of things. And so uh, most everyone else has come from that, but they came from the community. You know, I, I've never uh, put out a job ad or anything like that. Everyone's already been bought into what we're doing um, and knows our process and our methods really well. And then they come on the team. Yeah. So kind of like a natural process, it seems like. Yeah, it's been very organic. Um, and so far it's worked out. That's good. But people from your community, they love to lift. They love to train. Um, they love your community. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, any it's awesome. Any challenges with running a remote team? Do you, I mean, you're building out an office. So do you feel like you're going to capture some, uh, some benefits from having an office? Uh, really, it's just going to be more focus because uh, I've always worked from home. 
and that just with three kids, you know, especially during the pandemic, man, that, that pro- proposed more of a challenge than uh, I was expecting. Um, and yeah. so just having that office, I think it'd be a lot more focused. I think it'd provide for better, better content because we're constantly pr- creating content. Um, and then being able to bring, like the team's not going to come work. It's, it's primarily going to be me. Uh, but, you know, we, so I do have some of my team members closer now. So they'll come, maybe we'll do retreats and longer, longer uh, work type related projects. I think it'll just give us a better, more focused way to do that in the future. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of, we kind of flipped the script here. We had an office that we were adamant about bringing people into to kind of build the culture. And then now we're hundred percent remote and it looks like we're going to be like that indefinitely. Um, I can share one challenge with that is that it's hard to kind of maintain that culture uh, when you're all remote. So we're trying to make more of an effort, but that that's a challenge that we're dealing with. Uh, yeah. For certain. I, I would say the biggest challenge um, for remote teams for me has just been it's just communication in general um, because a lot of our, like we have team meetings over zoom and everything and, and those work out great. Uh, but you know, we use Slack. I'm sure you guys probably use Slack as well, or maybe yeah, you don't. We do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it just, if someone doesn't know your personality real well, it's like things getting lost in translation on a text message too. Yeah. Like, especially, especially being the boss, you know, someone could think like what you said was um, you're being a dick or whatever, you know, like it's like, no, I was just, I was just Short really just time, at, trying to be just, brief. Yeah. I was trying to ask a question. Cause yeah, that's popped into my brain. I need to know the answer. Uh, so sometimes those things get lost in translation. So I'd say communication, which yeah. I try to be really good about, but that, that has been the biggest challenge because it can, people can get offended or you can hurt feelings or whatever. And, and that's not something that, that I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Video calls. It's important. Uh, even for like team members that I don't oversee directly, try to get in touch a little bit just to say, Hey, what's up? It goes a long way. Just a couple minutes. Yeah. I think talking to people and that's, a, that's another thing that can get lost is like you have the team meeting. So everyone's available are around, but it's also good to get that one-on-one time. So relationships, it's just like coaching, you know, that you have to build the relationship. You can't just have the, the nutrition and the, in the programming. It's like, Hey, you got to, build the relationship with the, the, the athlete or the client. And that's the same with your team. You can't just tell them what to do and expect them to grow. You need to find out what their personal goals are and see how they're trying to move forward. See how you can assist in that, that process and, and communicate a lot, making sure that they always understand the why behind why you're, why you are asking them to do what you're doing. Even though you don't have to explain those things because you're the boss, you should explain those things to, uh, you know, going back to that, like the athlete, make sure they're bought in and they know what the hell's going on. Yeah, you got to give a little bit before you can ask more of them. Totally true. Um, let's switch to programming a little bit. So um, let's say, you know, you have someone that has a 10-year training age, they're a GI Joe, and then someone who's just getting off the couch. Do these two people enroll for the same program that you offer, or how do you kind of account for that? Yeah, so the way we do it, since we kind of have a – we appeal to the masses, right? And, and uh, everything that we've tried to do is – bring the most personalized experience we can without it being one-on-one personalized coaching. And so as opposed to you come in um, and just tell us everything that you want and we give it to you, which is a lot of coaching, right? That's like people mm-hmm. are like, I, this, 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 and this, we've kind of flip it. We have standards, right? This is our standards. We have three different levels of fist fitness. We call it recruit established and competitor. And there are 15 different areas that we test in each one of those. And based off of your performance results only, um, we you, you get lumped into one of those categories. And so if you're a recruit, establisher, competitor, 
that kind of based off the programming. So the programming would be scaled and the, the programming is also scaled. Everything is percentage based. Every single thing that we do is percentage based. That's why we know your lifts. We know how fast you can run. So everything is percentage based off that. And, you know, you get there are different time caps for different levels of fitness. There are different uh, percentages for different levels of fitness, all these different things. So that's what we've done. Um, the programming kind of stays the same uh, to, to answer your question. Like the, the framework stays the same, but the execution for the athlete becomes different based off of their level of fitness. Mm-hmm. Do the programs get individualized at the end of the day, or is it kind of three programs amongst those three classes of athletes? Uh, so yeah, we have what we call tracks now. So we have seven, no, we have nine different tracks, I think. And, uh, so different goals. So if you want to be stronger, we have what we call a strength track. If you uh-huh. want, if you want to be endurance based, you go on the endure track. And then if, uh, our biggest, most popular track is called the hard to kill track, which is just being really well-rounded, uh, with strength mm-hmm. and endurance, uh, concurrent training type stuff. And within those, each one of those have three different levels. So we don't ever jump down all the way to the individualization level, but we also don't feel that we've had to get to that point yet. So right. um, that, that's something that we, we actually are wanting to survey our athletes later this year to see if it's something that they're looking for. Uh, but we've just had so many great results in our, our um, athlete base is so happy that it seems to be working right now. Yeah. Nine tracks means definitely manageable. I mean, that's, that's okay. Did it always was it always that way or did you kind of develop this over time? No, it's been developed over a long period of time. So our first track was the, it was just the track. Uh, we eventually named it the hard to kill track, but that's been the longest. And like I said, it's our most popular, um, the hard to kill track, but, uh, over time people would, because how we used to do it, we, uh, we operate in cycles. So everything is a 12 week cycle. And, when we were on that track, we would have an endurance slant one 12 weeks. We'd have a strength slant one 12 weeks. And so we'd jump all over the place, but we would like, you know, if you're a strength athlete and we go to endurance slant, you'd be like, I'm out guys. Like I can't, <laughs> I have no interest in doing that. And so we started to niche down a little bit more of like, Hey, if you have this specific goal, go here. And, uh, that has been really beneficial for the athletes cause they can, they can jump around and, uh, you know, stay a little bit longer with our programming. If they have, if they can, change up their goals throughout the year. Yeah. Without getting into too many specifics here, because I, you know, I don't want to give away your business plan or your strategy, but I get a lot of questions from coaches about pricing. seems like coaches have big questions about how they want to price and value their programs that they offer. So you offer these, you have these 12 week programs. Do you charge up front for, for the 12 weeks or let them pay monthly? And then how do you kind of adjust the, the price, you know, to the value of your programming? Yeah, that's, that's a hard one to answer. And, um, but I, I'll take my best shot at it because ours garage gym athlete is 25 bucks a month at the core core level. And then we do provide some different coaching and how we used to do it was, um, it was way more expensive and it was, you'd pay for like three week or three month waves. You know, you could either pay up front or you pay a monthly fee and it was way more expensive, but a little bit more individualized. Um, and then we decided to flip, uh, to this, $25 a month model. And people are thinking I'm trying to deter them because I don't want them to mimic my business model. I would not recommend that for most any coach anywhere like at all, because, uh, I would check your, your assets before you go down that road. I've been blogging for 10 years before we even thought about doing something like that. Our web traffic is hundreds of thousands of people per month, you know, this, so this is not, this is not a strategy that you want to implement if you have a very small following online. I see you're leveraging volume. 
Right. We are very much leveraging volume because we can't. Um, now, what I recommend a lot of our coaches do, the people who like, go through our, our coaching education, way more expensive, shorter based stuff and way more attention on the athlete. That way you can take smaller volume. And um, this is what I did when I first started and when I was doing side hustle mode. So hundreds of dollars per month per athlete. Uh, and you kind of sell them on like a three month or six month plan. Uh, after you know their goals. And I think that is the best approach because it worked for me when I had no web traffic um, and, you know, no, no resources, no assets. Um, and it works for a lot of our other coaches who are getting into this um, with like small Instagram followings, no website stuff that works. So I think uh, charging a premium is something that you shouldn't be scared of doing. Uh, but if you want to go down the membership route, route that we have, just know that it takes a lot and it's a very, very difficult and challenging business model. Yeah. Interesting. I, I always think pricing is an interesting conversation because that's kind of the nitty gritty of having a training business. And uh, especially when you do it online and remote, I think it gets, it becomes a very big gray area, but you've seemed to, to kind of evolve yours to take advantage of something, which we mentioned was volume. You started building up a lot of traffic, a lot of brand equity, and um, obviously you, you had to do something with your business to make it efficient, to make 25 bucks a month work, right? You're not going to sit down and do four zoom calls a month with every client at 25 bucks a month. Right. And that's the, that's what we, we landed on. We tried to give it the maximum amount of, we feel that we could for, cause we don't, we also don't discount it. You know, if you do go down this road, mm -hmm. we're not like, dude, it's 25 bucks a month. Like, whatever, you know, it's just like, don't, don't put that much effort into it. I think some people do that with they if they try this lower tier um, amount and it's, I don't look at it that way at all. Cause human beings are human beings. I look at it as these, these people are paying you for the service. You're going to give them the best damn service you possibly can. So that's yeah. the mindset we go into not, Hey, it's only 25 bucks a month. Just give them a repeated program, you know, whatever, like we're constantly, we've never repeated any of our programming. We constantly coming up with new cycles, new, new ideas. We're always doing new things for the athletes. Like it's a continuous service that we're trying to provide and not like, uh, you know, Oh, I wrote a year's worth of programming. We're just going to put it on repeat and hopefully a bunch of people come like, that's not how you build community or get people bought in. So I think uh, if you do go the lower dollar amount, you, you need to also make sure you're putting in just as much effort as you would anything else. Uh, but like you said, we are leveraging that volume. If I wasn't leveraging volume, I'd be doing the same thing, just charging more and having fewer, fewer athletes. Yeah. Do you feel like, do you think it's fair to say that you're over delivering on a $25 a month price? I think that it's fair to say, you know, I, I would love to, we, we survey our athletes at least once a year and the ones who are really bought in definitely think that we are between the free information that we publish, how much we put into, like we have a lot of, we give a lot of way, a lot of things away for free, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, patches and shirts and all these different things. And, uh, that's not, uh, it's not cost effective, you know, to give away a $25 shirt on no. a $25 a month membership, but you know, over time it starts to, to work out and it's part of that community building that we were talking about. Yeah. In terms of gaining new clients, do you think word of mouth is your most powerful tool for that? Yeah, I think we have a lot of word of mouth going on. Um, I mean, we we're really doing everything. So mm -hmm. word of mouth is huge, organic trap, website traffic. We do Facebook advertising. Uh, so we really have our hands in, in just about everything. Um, but, you know, we don't want to be reliant on, let's say, advertising or a Google algorithm shift. So 
they're the, the people who do come in from word of mouth are the people who stick around, you know, like even if you do get someone to come to your training from a Facebook ad, they've never heard about you and they happen to sign up, uh, which is a challenging thing to do. Those people don't stick around as long because they're not as bought in, you know? So I think yeah. uh, that's a big one, but the, the podcast is also a huge driver of new athletes for us. Oh, very cool. It's, you know, that's a, there's no reason to overcomplicate how to stimulate word of mouth, delivering a great product, building a great community. You kind of take care of the fundamentals and it more or less takes care of itself. Is that fair to say as well? A hundred percent. You know, we've never, I don't ask athletes to go push people. You know, I think that's a good mm -hmm. business strategy. Like, Hey, you, could you recommend anyone? Uh, but we just, we get it all the time, you know, and, and that's just from really taking care of the athletes that we do have. They're going to obviously recommend their friends and family members. Yeah. How did, how did end of three, how did you come up with that name? Yeah, it's always a, always a question. Um, so it, it's kind of funny when, so when pilot training, um, you know, just flying and all that stuff was over, I, I knew I wanted to start something. And I had this idea for a band name, not for my own band. My friend in high school was going to start a band and he was asking us for a band name. And I, I put some thought into it and I was like, dude, end of three, you know, cause like the drummer is doing like you know, one, one, two, three. And then they start the music. I was like, into three, it sounds awesome. And he's like, dude, I don't like it. I was like, all right, dude, whatever. Uh, and, uh, when I decided to start this, I was like, you know what, that's the same thing, similar to how my, uh, athletic life has been either coaches counting down at the end of three or, you know, even machines on treadmills do it, everything. So everything good that happens in fitness is the end of countdown typically. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the, the name came from end of three. Yeah, that's cool. No, it's catchy. That's good. It's a good idea, man. You came up with it. That's cool. Yeah, it's uh, we got turned down. Could be a band name of some like high school band you never heard of, but instead, it's a fit fitness company. <laughs> yeah, now the now that guy's selling used cars, and you've got the end of three brand. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so Air Force Special Operations Command, you you trained some of those guys, I guess, when you were active duty. Is that right? Yeah. So that's, that was a big thing is, um, after I was injured, uh, you couldn't go into, um, it's, it's called casual status. Uh, I was a military officer and they, they basically don't know what to do with you for a while. And I went to air force special operations command. Uh, you know, I was flirting with the idea of going from aviation to special operations. Um, and they, they just kind of knew my fitness background. And so that I got to work a lot with, um, cause they already have human performance teams in special operations. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like, uh, someone in active duty gets to take it over. Uh, but what I got to take over was the, um, a lot of the military, like mass training stuff. So they call it a unit fitness program manager. And that's where you are, you're creating the program, but you're also tracking everyone's results. So there's just a ton of data in it and you're kind of on the hook for, mass testing, implementation of a program, and then a result that is better than their initial test. So it's like test, retest, you put in the program. And so I got a lot of experience really just doing what it, almost exactly my job is now, uh, you know, yeah. and uh, I just got to do it for free or, you know, get paid for uh, doing it in the military, which is awesome. But then I also did uh, the second part of that role was physical training leader. So actually training people in person. So you're just like the guy at the front leading everyone through the exercises and stuff. So it was a great opportunity. Um, and then also just to work with those human performance teams, because some of those guys came from uh, collegiate backgrounds, you know, like yeah. former coaches at Notre Dame and all this other stuff. They're coming really just because it's a better lifestyle. Because uh, yeah. I'm sure you've talked to coaches who they're just constantly traveling or they, they were constantly traveling, working 12, 15 hour days. 
Uh, when you come and you work as a strength, strength and conditioning coach in the military, as a civilian, it's a contract position and they have a lot of rules for contractors. You're like not defined hours. Yeah. Like you're not allowed to work past certain hours. I mean, you can, yep. if you want to take your work home or whatever, but they'll like kick you out of the building if you're trying to put in too much time and stuff. Uh, so it's just a lot better lifestyle, especially with family. Uh, so that's what I was really thinking about doing post uh, military was, um, being a contract strength and conditioning coach for special operations. But instead I went the entrepreneurship route, but, uh, yeah, it was just a, a ton of a great experience, uh, in the last couple of years of my military career there. Yeah. Right. Look, Ron McKeefrey, one of the better known strength coaches in our industry has a, a long, long collegiate history. And he took a tactical job as a contractor, I think for the exact same reasons, just, you know, a defined work period where you weren't working 14 hour days with no extra pay. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's what, cause I, I talked to these guys. I was like, why would you, you know, it sounds so prestigious to be a, a strength and conditioning coach at Notre Dame. Like, why are you here? And he's like, you don't know anything basically. I'm like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I haven't done that, but it's uh, the lifestyle is just so much better. And um, you know, one thing expressed to me, cause I have not worked on both sides of these. I've only worked with military personnel and the people I work with now I've not worked for, I've not worked at like a, a professional team or something, you know, but they're just talking about the difference in the, athlete if we'll call him an athlete a tactical athlete versus a, a sport athlete because they're just so different you know the yeah. when you're training a tactical athlete man they're like they're trained to take orders which is good but also you're helping them not die you know like you're helping mm. them and, and so they're really bought in and there's while those guys do have massive egos it's not like the same type of ego like I'm the best uh, wide receiver here type thing, you know? It, it, and so from what I was told, like work, the difference in working with a tactical athlete and a professional athlete is, is insanely different and it's way more rewarding to work with a tactical athlete. I've heard the exact same thing that, you know, I've talked to coaches at the, uh, the military academies, for instance, and they just rave about how the, the guys will walk in and effort's not the issue. You know, you can ask as much as you need from them. Effort's not the issue. And uh, that's probably a dream come true for, you know, a lot of coaches. Uh, yeah. versus the, the, the big time collegiate side, talk to a lot of pro coaches and every pro coach will tell you that it's, it's about how do I elicit effort during the session? How do I get them to buy in? It's totally different. Yeah. That's, and that's a frustrating problem that would not, not fun to solve. I'm sure. <laughs> um, we could probably do a whole podcast on programming, but uh, I want to get into it a little bit. So I guess my first question is, and it might be a silly question, tell me if it is, but do larger fitness trends play a role in how you design new programming? Uh, we know like things come into fashion here and there, and then they leave. For instance, CrossFit made barbell hit training like really, really fashionable. Do you take that into account when you design new programs? No. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, um, I don't really. And most of the time it's like, it goes back to that education piece is like really trying to educate people about what we're doing. Um, but I unfortunately am enforcing athletes to eat their vegetables a lot of time in, in the programming world. Uh, like every, we do a lot of zone two work, which is, you know, just low effort, uh, aerobic intensity. And we do that because of, just basically the metabolic response, it's lower intensity. It's not going to, you know, jack up, jack with your CNS and it's going to help you recover and it's going to burn more fat. And there are a ton, you know, mitochondrial efficiency. Like there's just so many things people don't like doing it though. You know, yeah. people just don't like doing it. And we're forcing people to do stuff like that. Uh, but we have to educate them a lot on the why. And, um, you know, we're really anti, um, high intensity for the sake of intensity, which is like flies in the face of what a lot of people are doing. And so a lot of times we don't look at the trends at all. We're looking at 
what's going to keep this athlete healthy, safe, optimal, efficient for a very long period of time. Cause we want to keep athletes around for 10 years and to keep an athlete around for 10 years, you have to keep them injury free and continually seeing some sort of progress. And so I think that's, uh, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at just what does the science say and how can we implement it in the, in the best way. You have a CrossFit background. It sounds like a little bit. Do you draw things from CrossFit in terms of things that you do and things that you do not do? Uh, you know, I, I really got into CrossFit cause I thought that's the place that I should be, uh, early on, but I completely abandoned, uh, CrossFit and their methodology. I don't know, Almost when I started my own, my own business, I just didn't think it was the right place. I just, I saw in, I don't know if you have a lot of CrossFit people who listen to this. I always get attacked for saying any negative no, thing. You about, can say, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, Dude, yeah. You have free reign. Yeah. So I, I, uh, just this constant high intensity for the sake of high intensity, man, just what we saw, uh, what I saw as a coach and what we've seen people recovering from not, and I'm not talking about a barbell injury, like whatever, if you want to do high rep snatches and that you get injured, that that's like walking into a busy street to me, like no, no crap, that stuff's going to happen. But I'm talking about people who are seeing like adrenal fatigue and you know, they're, they're not recovering well. These are the deeper issues that we started to see when people just wanted to crush it every single day, hit two Metcons. Um, and so once I started to realize, Hey, this might not be healthy. I started to quickly move away from CrossFit and I got a lot of pushback. And uh, like I said, I got attacked a lot when I started to speak more openly against CrossFit um, it, from the user base, not other coaches necessarily. Other, I feel like other coaches are, are aware of that. Um, yeah. But once we kind of saw that, I just moved away. So what we do these days, a hundred percent, we just call it concurrent training. And so how do we blend strength training with aerobic conditioning to the best of our ability? And uh, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of tools and implements, are there some staples in your program? Do you introduce new tools and implements to your clients? We keep it really simple because of that garage gym athlete. Um, that's yeah. who we serve, you know? So what I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we really don't go outside of the need for a barbell plates, kettlebell or dumbbell pull-up bar, um, and a rack, you know, that's, that's really all you'd ever need to follow our programming. And so we're always thinking about that too. You know, how do we, how do we make these things, uh, awesome, you know, cause I can't, I can't force you to have a reverse hyper. I can't, you know, force you to have a belt squat machine or anything like that. So we don't ever program stuff like that. It's always very simple. So the, other than those implements, um, doesn't really go into, to my brain when I'm doing the programming. You do some cool stuff outdoors too, right? Like uh, your Saturday workouts, are those mostly outdoor workouts? Yeah, those are, those are a lot of fun. So every Saturday we do workouts called meet yourself Saturday workouts. A lot of them are outdoors. We have one we call the, the iron mile, which is just walking with a barbell on your back for a mile, which is like, simple but not easy you know we just empty, have a lot. empty barbell empty up to whatever uh up to whatever you can handle yeah so the the heaviest i think we've seen someone go in our community is probably like 205 pounds uh Oof. walked for a mile the most i've ever done is 185 and uh yeah it's unforgiving it's a, it's a brutal workout but yeah we do a lot of those and that, that goes back to that mindset side of things is four days out of the week we're following very structured you know program that progresses off uh, the last week and the, the last cycle. Uh, but every Saturday we're just doing something that's not as much in line with the programming. And it's more, how can we build your mental toughness and your ability to stick to things when you don't no longer want to. And so those are also what I'm trying to do. And a lot of those are outdoors to your point. Yeah. That people share this stuff on the Facebook group, take videos, take selfies. Is that what they do? Yeah. I'd say, you know, we've been trying to like, uh, 
tabulate what we think, how many people actually follow. Because there are a lot of people who we, I mean, Meet Yourself Saturday workouts, we put them on our YouTube channel. They're free. Uh, it's not like you have to pay to, to get them. But um, some people are scared of them. So they, they stay away from them. But yeah, a lot of people <laughs> are doing them, taking pictures and sharing it in the community, sharing times and, and uh, where they met themselves. So that Meet Yourself idea is where in the workout do you get to a point where your brain is actually like, look, you need to stop. Like, hey, just don't do this. Just quit. Let's it start trying to make a deal with you or whatever. That's an awesome opportunity to find yourself in because you now have an opportunity to change the conversation in your head that you don't normally get to change. Because I don't, I'm not normally sitting at my desk and just think, man, I'm not going to do this. I don't, that doesn't push me as much. But normally in physical fitness, you get to that point where you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to back off or I'm not going to do this or I'm going to shorten it or whatever. But that's great, man. You've now introduced a version of yourself that you can train. You could talk to a little bit differently and change the self-talk in your mind. And so that's the whole point or premise behind it. So it's just kind of an optional thing and everyone knows it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, they're, they're normally pretty tough. And, and I got a lot of experience when I was in the military, um, gaming workouts to where there was no, there's no out, you know, like, because uh, when you when I'm training a lot of the younger airmen in the military, when I'd be with a group like that who wasn't that into fitness, I'd program something and then I'd find out like, ah, you just you're just not gonna try hard here, or some, you know like, and I didn't realize it took like several iterations of creating workouts to be like, how can I create a workout where no matter what it sucks, you know, like no matter what it sucks, and so that's what we what I try to do in most of them. Yeah. Um- you know, fitness that's oriented around looking good, right? That seems like the lowest hanging fruit in the fitness industry has been for decades. Uh, do you get people who approach you about like they just want to look better? Because obviously your program is based around performance. Do you uh, speak to that at all in your marketing or people who seek that out? Yeah. What we try to let people know is like what, what fun is there in tracking your weight on the scale? And I'm not saying you don't need to lose weight if that's your goal. What I'm saying is if you come to me and your mile time is 10 minutes, let's get your mile time to eight minutes and see how you look after that. Cause I yeah. guarantee you're going to look different if I get your mile time down two minutes, you know, I, and, and so that's what we try and teach people is yeah, we're performance based, but there's no way an increase in performance doesn't come with looking better naked, you know, mm-hmm. it, like it's going to happen. So we try and educate people on that. Uh, we also do have one track that's called the shred track. So it is for people who like want to, the programming is a little geared more towards hypertrophy, uh, you know, and aerobic conditioning to try and induce fat loss and build some muscle. Um, so we do have a program kind of specific to that, but it's still performance-based. And so we really just try and educate them on a performance increase will result in an aesthetic, you know, benefit. Yeah. And obviously there's a nutritional component to your, your programs. Yeah, we give a lot of nutritional stuff away uh, for free. You know, so we, we give away meal plans uh, broken down by macro and all this stuff. We used to sell those things, but now our athletes, we just, it's part of that over-delivering, right? They're like, we used to, mm-hmm. we used to sell these programs for 200 bucks and we're just giving it to you for free like, as soon as you sign up, you know, and, and so we're just trying to help athletes as much as we can. But we've moved a lot more towards uh, fueling specifically for workouts so that we're teaching athletes a lot about uh, – the basics, the very base level of bioenergetics. So just, you know, different, uh, how your body utilizes carbohydrates and how you might want to prepare for the day. And we even have tests around how their body uses those things and how they use fats and, and what protein is for. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, how 
those foods tie into energy system training, which we do a lot of. And I think that education base helps people uh, better fuel for workouts and then also better recover. Yeah. Talking about fitness industry trends, you could say like nutrition trends is probably even more volatile than uh, the fitness industry. You probably, it seems like your approach is to keep it very fundamental and simple as to not get involved in that. That's a big reason we moved to fuels. Like is that's what we call it is like, you know, optimizing your, optimizing your fuel. So we're talking about at different intensities, what macronutrients are your body's using? So carbs and, and fat primarily. We moved that direction about two years ago because I, I don't want to get in an argument if whether or not your carbohydrate uh, should be vegan carbohydrates or paleo carbohydrates. You know, I just want you to perform well. And so yeah. we can talk about fuels and that doesn't put a clamp on the front end of your diet about what kind of diet you want to follow. Cause you can, I have my own opinions on that, but I also don't think I'm God or that I'm right. And that my nutritional philosophy is the philosophy I have. I know it works for me. And I also know with working with a lot of athletes, I've seen everything work for a lot of different people. So I, I no longer have like, this is the way to do it. Uh, but bioenergetics is, is a science and you can't really get away from that. Yeah. Kind of sounds like the same approach you take to the, the programming, keep it kind of minimal. Don't get too much into the, uh, to the weeds. Cause I mean, nutrition, for some reason, it ends up being on an individual basis. It could, it could be a kind of a, you know, pe- people stand up for their like nutrition beliefs, like any, like nothing you can believe. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, and that's where, and it's always the extremes, right? It's very like, I try to keep things moderate, you know, and, and it's always the, everyone comes from a fear base in, you know, and uh, I talked about this actually recently um, to our athletes is this every diet, like hardcore diet is, is, uh, is coming at you with fear. You know, vegans mm-hmm. are saying that if you eat red meat, your heart's going to stop, um, you know, and you're going to die an early death. And then yeah. Like, Halo oh, tells you that processed grains are the reason why your stomach feels bad and you have headaches. And exactly. Everyone's coming from a fear base. And, uh, that since when has that ever helped? You know, that, right. that that's not going to help anybody move forward. So I think we just need to move away from the fear. And, and I do think my big take on nutrition is like individualized. It, it really has to be individualized because of how different people are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of minutes left here. So I'm going to hit our last topic being the nuts and bolts of kind of building an online business. We don't have to talk too much about team builder because I don't want to turn this into an infomercial. No one wants to hear that, but you know, you, I'm sure you've come across things like building a website, building a shopping cart, you know, some technical aspects to building a business. Did you just learn this stuff yourself? Are you a do it yourself guy? Or at some point did you see value in kind of outsourcing technical things to other applications or companies? Well, I want to start with, you say you don't want to make it an infomercial, but if anybody's listening to this and they're not using Team Builder, they absolutely should be using Team Builder. Uh, you guys are, are awesome. You know, we've been with you for several years and that's for a very particular reason. Like I don't, I've seen everything else in the industry and nothing comes close to you guys. Like I, I can't even like, I don't even know why anyone, anyone tries to be honest, the user interface, like the reporting, everything you guys are absolutely crushing it. So if you aren't using Team Builder for, delivering programming to your athletes. Like I've, like I said, I've looked at everything else, nothing comes close. So I'll, I'll plug it for you since you know, you didn't, you didn't want to, uh, but Thank as you. far, <laughs> as far as the, the technical stuff, um, you know, most of that has been, uh, me or members on, on the team just doing it and learning it, uh, because oh, things are fast. Things are like dynamic. So sometimes hiring things out, uh, we've done that, but if, then if it doesn't work, say you say you have a landing page or something and you spent, Hey, it took this guy three weeks and all that stuff and it didn't convert. 
I don't have another three weeks. I don't want to pay more money and wait. Like things are too dynamic. You have to learn really fast. So we picked up those skills. Um, and it's so easy these days. Like when I first started, you know, I was like on a WordPress site and making any kind of change was just a huge pain. So I basically just didn't, but now it's, it's really easy with website builders and everything else to, to learn those technical skills for your team to learn those technical skills. Uh, so we do it all in-house and, uh, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. To your point, there's never been a better time. Uh, I've seen these tools. I was the same way seven years ago, a landing page. Oh my gosh, what a project. Right. Now we pop these things up and, and within the hour, uh, you know, with the tools you have. And uh, what are some, are there some must have tools that you would recommend uh, that just help immensely? Well, I'd say first the mindset's going to be the biggest thing. Cause it, you know, I, I believe this podcast is geared more towards coaches. Right. And I think a lot of coaches right. get into this, like, I don't do that type mentality not because they're too good it's just like i'm a coach i want to coach you you're like if you're not willing to basically learn all this crap you're not going to succeed online that's just the, yeah. the bottom line and so you have to learn it now as far as tools um you know i don't know if we have any must-have tools because uh, i mean other than team builder for our programming different website pl program platforms there's so many different things between click funnels oh. and kajabi and all this stuff uh we use kajabi for a lot of our stuff we also use squarespace um and both of those platforms are very easy to use and uh make everything really um fast dynamic like i was saying we can make changes quickly yeah but you're totally right there's a lot of options out there i think the key is just to pick one learn it and uh self-sufficiency is a big deal because you don't want to rely on other people to build stuff for you edit pages and stuff like that yeah. And, uh, none of those individual platforms are going to be the reason your business grows, you know, yeah. like they're, cause they're all too close now. There is not like, Oh, if I have a click landing page versus a square Squarespace landing page, I'm going to make more money. Like, no, you're not. You need to have the best offer, the best product, and then market it the best. And the page is a kind of an afterthought from there. Yeah. Okay. Last thing, social media. Um, you guys do a great job at it. What is your approach to, to marketing yourself or just building your brand using social media? Yeah, we, well, our, uh, so Joe, he runs our garage gym athlete Instagram account and, uh, he mm -hmm. puts primarily, you know, helpful things for garage gym athletes, funny things to, you know, get more engagement. Um, and the only thing that we do to push our business really is we do athlete of the week. So we're talking about those athlete of the weeks, uh, those athletes that we interview, those are athletes who've been following our programming for a long period of time. We publish one every single week, but we also publish their results. So we publish, this person's lost 15 pounds while gaining, you know, 30 pounds on their back squat. They could do six pull-ups when they came in, they can do 19. And we see it's all like a, a line graph over their picture. Um, and just, so we, we published that and it's not, um, a direct, like sign up for anything. It's just, we're putting our money where our mouth is with our, yeah. our programming and our athletes. And so sometimes I think people, they might think that testimonials are inflated or whatever, but it's like, Dude, just go, okay, we got this guy on our Instagram account. Go listen to his podcast now. Do you think we just paid an actor? And we're paying an actor every single uh, week of the year, you know, when we publish these interviews. And so I think yeah. it just, it, it goes into the authenticity of the brand and people know what we're doing is legit. It's certainly authentic, man. I, I was surprised when you told me that you mostly interview your athletes. I was like, wow, it's, it's it kind of made, makes sense, but it's, um, it's something really cool, man. You have a good thing going. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the community in and of itself. I mean, I am a garage mafia. I train by myself most of the time in my garage. And so it's, I'm a part of that community, not just running the community. And so uh, I get a lot out of it too, personally. Yeah, you got a tribe. That's good. Well, folks, that's uh, Jared Moon from Endo3 Fitness. I'm going to publish all your 
contact information, not directly, but you know, website and all that good stuff. Thanks for coming on the pod, man. Great time. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me anytime. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.